Well, we are in um, the book of Nehemiah, and uh, we've been in Nehemiah for a few weeks now. I hope you found it profitable and helpful so far. I believe that there's lots in here for us to, to learn. We purposefully chose this book because we are in a time of uh, growth, a time of transition. It's wonderful, actually, to think that eight years ago or so when I came, this church was a church of about 200 people gathering, and now we regularly see around 600 gathering. And that's just a wonderful, remarkable act of God. And yet we know that he hasn't called us to gather crowds. He's gathered us to build the church and to make disciples. And so um, whilst we celebrate, we, we want to do well. We want to be purposeful. We know that in January, sorry, February, we're looking at going to two services on a Sunday to make more room for others to join us at this, this feast that uh, Jesus has invited us to. A feast that's not very well represented by little thimbles, but uh, nonetheless, it is a feast in Christ Jesus. And, um, and we want more people to join us. So we're having two services in February. We're, we're looking to do something in the Never each west of the uh, of the town. I always muddle up which ones which there, um, and and uh, and we want God to help us to build carefully. Nehemiah is a book where uh, uh, God's people build purposefully. They're strengthened well. They encounter opposition and come through it, and uh, we know that will be true for us. It already is true for us, and they see God break through. And so we purposely thought, let's go through a book where we can, as a people, come together to look at what it means to grow as a people, what it means to grow purposefully together. Just a quick recap on the story so far. Nehemiah is a cupbearer to uh, the Persian king, uh, but he is a Jew. He is an Israelite. And he has received news about the walls of Jerusalem being broken down and the remaining Jews being in great danger. And something in him just breaks. He just is not okay with that. God's Holy Spirit, I believe, weighs on him heavy. He falls to his knees weeping and calls out to Holy God, confessing the people of God, we know we've turned away from you. We've been a sinful people and we've got ourselves in this terrible position. And as he prays to God, he recalls uh, God's words to Moses. If you want to open your Bibles, if you've got them open, uh, in chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, he says this, God said this to Moses, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. And Nehemiah is recognizing that's what's happened. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. It's not just a, a group of people, it's a dwelling place for God. We're going to talk about that. And so... Nehemiah rightfully goes back to God with God's words. He says, God, you said, you said, I know we've turned and I repent. And he, he mourned the, 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 the stupid position that the people had got themselves in by turning away from God. But he said, but God, you said if we come back to you, if we put our trust in you again, you will stir us. You will gather us again and you will make it a dwelling place for your name. And then we heard that he wonderfully gets the opportunity to, to talk to the, the king of Persia and ask can I go to my home city? Can I go and rebuild? Can I scout it out? And the king not only says yes, uh, but he gives him promise of safety and he gives him resources. And so uh, Nehemiah goes and as he meets other people and says you're going to rebuild, he says in chapter 2 verse 18, this wonderful thing, he says, I told them, he's talking about the people that he's gathering to build, the gracious hand of my God 
is on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Okay, so he knows the gracious hand of God is on him and they're ready to build. So we we reach chapter 3 now where God has gathered people who are motivated to rebuild the walls together. I'm going to read the first three verses and then pray and then we'll jump into it. I'll say three verses because I can't read all the names, so I'll just keep it to three verses. Um, Then Eliashav, the king, sorry, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zachur, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hassanah, built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. It goes on for 32 verses in a similar vein. Individuals and groups take responsibility side by side for the rebuilding of the city walls. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence among us this morning. We thank you you are a God who loves to be with his people. We thank you, Jesus, you made a way for us to be united to God, to be reconciled, to be close to him. Thank you you sent your spirit to be present among us. We thank you we've felt that this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we treasure it. We pray that this morning you would move us forward from one degree of glory to the next. You'd open our eyes. You would warm our hearts. We pray that we'd see Jesus and fall more in love with you and trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Just... Just want you to say a quick prayer and say, God, speak to me this morning. Well, we love the Bible here. We believe what it says about itself. If you are uh, uh, not a regular with us or if you haven't been with us for long, I'd encourage you to have a look on our website. We've got uh, six core values, and uh, one of them is the Word of God. We value the Word of God. We're a Bible-believing church. We believe what it says about itself, uh, that it is the living word, that it is living and active, that it is profitable. It's God-breathed, profitable for teaching and growing and rebuking, and, and, and God speaks to us through his word. It's the only book that you'll read that reads you. It's the only book that you'll read that, that is living and active. I even found this week, and, and you might find that sometimes in the morning, you think, oh, too tired, I don't want to do my Bible reading. And then I just, as I had my eyes closed in bed, I just felt, I need to hear from God, though. I really do. And so I went and read, and God spoke to me. It's a beautiful thing. This word is living and active. And we also believe that although the Bible is 66 books, it is one sweeping story. It's one story that all culminates, all revolves around, actually, Jesus Christ. It all revolves around Jesus. It's all about him. The Old Testament all points towards Jesus. The Old Testament, you could say, is promises made. And the New Testament is where he reveals himself as the fulfillment of all that has been written. You could say it is promises kept. The Old Testament promises made, New Testament promises kept. If you're a parent of under 10s in here, then I would encourage you to read your children the Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones. I know that one. Surely some of you know that. It's a wonderful book that really is helpful with this theme that the whole Bible is actually one story. And the tagline to that book is, every story whispers his name. From Genesis to Nehemiah to Malachi, Matthew to Revelation, it all whispers Jesus. It's all about Jesus. 
And we see that with this book here. We read the Old Testament with New Testament glasses, as Jesus helps us to understand. And we see the overarching story. Nehemiah is a book about rebuilding what was sacred. It was about rebuilding a place where God desired to dwell with his people. But ultimately, it's still only pointing forwards to what one day would eclipse it. What one day would be the fulfillment of it. They rebuild God's dwelling place with his people using stones. And hundreds of years later, Peter says that through Jesus, God is rebuilding you and I together as living stones. And that God will dwell with us because of Jesus. It says this in Ephesians 2. So then you are, and later on in the verse, members of the household of God. Built on the foundation, not of land, not of mortar, but of the apostles and the prophets. Christ himself being the cornerstone. You're built on Christ Jesus. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It's exactly the same word that we hear in Nehemiah, dwelling place of God. They're building the dwelling place of God. This is, this is God's desire. This has always been his desire to be dwelling with his people. We see this in Genesis 1. God made, or Genesis, God made people and dwelt with them. He walked with them. He was with them until, until that, that, that dwelling got broken by them. God has always had this desire. I will be their God. They will be my people. I will make a way to reconcile us. I will be with them. Uh, right through to the, the penultimate chapter of the whole Bible, Revelation 21, that says this. Then I saw, this is where it culminates, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Now I hope some of you are thinking, hallelujah. Some of you are going through tough things at the moment. Maybe recently lost people knowing the sting of death, knowing, ouch, maybe going through difficult things. And this, for those in Christ, is your destination. New heavens, new earth, new city of God, the new Jerusalem. There'll be no more mourning, no crying, no tears. The former things have passed away. Let that warm you today. Let that warm you. That's what he's about. I believe, I believe Hope Church is a great church. I believe this is a wonderful church. And I believe God is about a mighty work in Ipswich. But a bright and strong church, or a bright and strong church gathering, I should say, does not mean that we're all grasping the true story, the true glory of what the church is. It's possible to be conformed to the world to be living in a broken culture and then popping into a strong church on the weekends. 
a strong church gathering. We must grasp that we, we did not come to church today. You didn't come to church today. If you're in Christ, we are the, the, the church. We are the people of God. Through Christ, we've been called out of darkness and grafted into not something new, not something fashionable, but the age-old story. We've been grafted into what God has always been about on this earth. The centerpiece of history is what we've been brought into. We are a called out people. We are the called out people of God. God's redeemed people. The very body of Christ to the broken world. Have you ever heard somebody say this? If Jesus is alive, where is he then? We're supposed to say, here. We're supposed to say, he's right here. He's alive among us. He is alive and at work with us. His power is at work in us. So when Christ confronts the church murderer, Paul, he says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? He takes himself as synonymous with the church. He's alive in his people. He's alive with us. So someone says, where is he if he's alive? You should say, come to my church. Come be with us. He's alive among his people. He is with us all over the earth. Millions of people bow down and worship him. He is alive among his people. And if we're content to merely go to church services and think that that's what church is, we have, we have terribly missed it. God has created a new people group. His bride, the body of his son. It says in Revelation 7, verse 9, After this I looked, this is at the end, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. It's talking about the bride. It's talking about the church. It's talking about that which will one day find its consummation fully, where the dwelling place of God is fully realized. The people of God with the presence of God. Community is not a strategy. Some of us love the, the word community. We've already got to work on the community. Community, community. That's wonderful. Community, though, is not a strategy that God uses to build his club, to get more people together in his name. It's not just to give texture to a group of individuals. No, we, we together corporately are the people of the living God. God is doing something in history. It is his passion. It is his passion. You might say, Tim, why are you, why are you going on about the church? It's his passion, guys. It's the passion of the Father. Zeal for the church will accomplish God's work, it says in Isaiah 9. His zeal, his passion will accomplish what he has started. And it says of Jesus, zeal for his father's house consumed him. And he cleared the temple that had become an idolatrous place for making money and, and having power and control. And he came in. And he cleansed it. He came in with a whip and, and moved it out and coins were scattered and animals were scattered and people were whipped. Meek and gentle Jesus, zeal for his father's house, consumed him. He said, it said that my father's house would be a house of prayer. And it was partly what he was doing there was a symbol that the people of God would be cleansed. 
and that what had been perverted would be made holy by the blood of Jesus. What he did in the temple, he then did at the cross. He cleansed the people of God. As Jesus took a whip to drive out darkness from the dwelling place of God, whips and torture were used on him as he cleansed those who would be the dwelling place of God. This beautiful quote here from Pastor and author John Piper, it says this, The ultimate aim of creation and redemption is guaranteed by the blood of Jesus. He calls it the blood of the covenant. At the cost of his life, Christ bought the beautification of his bride. And her beauty is her delight in him. We can see this in Ephesians 5. We so often read this in relationship to marriage, which it is, of course, that the wonder of what it says about Christ and the church goes by a little too fast. So let's take it as the consummation of the purpose of creation. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, that is, beautify her, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. That is the goal of creation. Everything was designed that the son might purchase a bride, beautified in splendor for himself, to the honor of his father, in the power of the blood-bought spirit. On behalf of his father, Christ came to create a beautiful bride out of a hard-hearted rebel people, you and me. This blood-bought, beautified bride will be God's delight forever. What else does it mean when he says, I want her to be beautiful when she comes to me? Why? I enjoy beauty. She's going to be my joy forever. It's what I've been about all these thousands of years. And her splendor will be her delight in him forever. The church is a people God is preparing for eternal delight in him as he eternally delights in her. The church is where God glorifies his son. His bride must be the center of world history. Where the headship, the lordship and the influence of Christ says to the world, look at him. The people should look at the church and say, look at Jesus. Look at their saviour. How he took rebels, messy, proud, dirty people and loved them. And changed them and lifted them up. Look at this Jesus beautifying a bride for himself. So if we see the church as a building where Christians gather, or even as the gathering of Christians on Sunday, we're out of touch with the glorious vision that God has, that he's called us into, the centerpiece of history. So when we read a seemingly boring chapter, Nehemiah 3, which seems like a phone book, just a list of people doing things, and we think, what has this got to do with us? We recognize it points us to God's new people created and built in his son. And then we think, what can we learn from this living and active chapter that seems just to be a list of names, but really is about the thing that God is doing in history? I'm going to look at a number of things here that we can learn from this this chapter. And the question is, who does the Lord build with? Who does God build with in this chapter? I've got seven people here, but, or seven different characteristics. I don't know if we'll get through all of them, but we'll, we'll give it a go. Firstly, the Lord builds with those who are humble. 
He's building a bride. He's building the church for himself. And he wants to build with those who are humble. It's interesting in this chapter, right from the start, as you, we, we read in verse 1, high priests are involved. High priests, governors, rulers of districts, priests, Levites. These are people of some stature. These are people of high positions, high gifting. And they, 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 they're humble to work on what needs to be worked on. You know, the Bible's clear. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God loves a humble heart. And I want us to understand this here, because I love the humility that we see in Hope Church of people serving and giving and loving their families well and doing well at work, people getting awards at work, I've heard, and I just rejoice. I think that is glory to God. But the point of the, the humility here is not them going, you know, I'll be really noble here and I'll do this. I'll do this menial task because I'm so noble. No, the whole point is to them it's not menial. They've been humbled. To them, this is a mighty, sacred, spiritual work. There's one gate that has to be, you've probably heard this before, one gate that has to be rebuilt. It's probably not the most sought-after job. It's the dung gate, where you know, I expect dung was taken out of the city. And, uh, and it says it was rebuilt by a district ruler. I love that. A ruler of a district. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. But he's not thinking, probably not thinking, I'm going to post this on Facebook later on so other people can see what I've done, how great I am. He's thinking, this is a mighty work. Rebuilding the dwelling place of God. This is a mighty work. I love to see people, people in this church, there, there are people who are, who are very high in their workplace. Very wealthy people. And they'll come and they'll say, let me serve in kids' work. What needs, whatever needs to be done, I'll serve on the doors. Maybe people who find it very hard at work, saying, I'm going to prove God faithful. I'm going to serve anyway. I'm going to do the best I can. I'm part of the living temple of God. Being humble is not about check me out. It's about check him out. It's not because I am great. It's because he is great. And so it's wonderful to think there are people who say, I'll do whatever. We had Recently, we had a Getting Connected, uh, which is our membership course. And at the end, we asked people, where, where might you like to serve in our church? And people who are incredibly gifted, just writing on the piece of paper, wherever there is a need. I think, praise God. Praise God. Because it's not because, check me out. It's because I believe in what he is building. I believe in what he's doing. I, I, I will serve wherever the, where there is a need. I'll do it. And, and it's wonderful to see. God loves to see this humility. <coughs> Excuse me. And there were some nobles who refused to stoop, it says. Some, some, some people will think, now I refuse to, 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 to stoop that low. But the glorious thing is the different uh, people who gave themselves to this mighty work. You see... We follow Jesus. We're the people of God. We follow Jesus. He's the prince of heaven who put on humanity. He came into the dirt and served simple, some would say stupid men. He, he washed disciples' feet, including one that would in a few days' time betray him to death. He, he says in Philippians 2 that he, he humbled himself even to the point of death. This is, we're the people of Jesus. We follow Jesus. 
Secondly, the Lord builds with those who are faithful. He builds with those who are faithful. It says in Proverbs 20, Many man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. Many people say, oh yeah, I can do X, Y, Z. Oh, I love, I'm so invested, but a faithful man who can find. And Jesus said, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. You see, building takes hard work. I'm sure there were broken fingernails. I'm sure it was graft. I'm sure there was pain involved. Building takes hard work and it is not glamorous. It's routine. It's get up early. It's slog. It is, it's fall into bed at the end of the day. These people are, are working hard to build this wall. It takes reliable people who are not swayed easily, not distracted easily by whims. And I think, sadly, we're in such a, a comfortable time in our culture. I'm sure it's not going to be going that way for long, but at the moment, there's lots of comfort, and we're so easily swayed by whims and distracted by things. And, and God is calling a faithful people. God will build with a faithful people. He is in the extraordinary. In Nehemiah, there is extraordinary things that happen. But God is also in the ordinary. And he, as Tommy spoke to us a few weeks ago, he, he loves your work. He loves you to work as if working for the Lord. Day to day. And I want to encourage you. He sees you. The Bible's so clear right through. He sees you. Psalm 139, he knows a, a, a word before it's on your lips. He knows when you stand up, when you sit down. He knows what your work is like. And he wants to see people who are faithfully saying, again, 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 I will go. Again, I will work. Again, the next morning. Again, I will praise him. Again, I will choose him. I want to encourage you. There is a, a delight in God's heart for those who are faithful and trust in his faithfulness. Just as there were many who were humble, there were those who, who didn't stoop. And reality is God saw that as well. He wrote it in the book. God sees our faithfulness. So I know that it's so easy to think. I, I, I was thinking this recently. I was, uh, you know, you've got, you've got primary school, certain amount of time. You've got, uh, I actually moved to the States for two years um, between primary school and then year nine. And then came back, then I've got, high school, then you've got A-levels, then you've got whatever you might have next. I had university, then I've got marriage, then I've got children. All these quite short chunks of life. I think now in my life, is the, it's the longest I've lived married in one house, and it's the longest probably that I've thought, okay, God, I can't just be a person with itchy feet. That's like, okay, what's next? It's always been short chunks, short chunks. And after four or five years, okay, what's next? And I believe God spoke to me recently and said, this is next. I want a faithful people. I want a faithful people who don't just think, oh, but I want to I go. I want to go. I want to be adventurous. I want to be, you know, the world's so transient. We're all over the place, which is absolutely fine. If God calls you on, he calls you on. But be faithful where you are. It may well be that God's saying, I don't actually have another place for you. I have work for you here. I have work for you to be faithful in, to prove me faithful. I've been so inspired by reading Hudson Taylor lately in his, his, uh, one of his biographies. And uh, the man was just an incredible uh, display of God's faithfulness as he, hit, as he hit hurdles and hit walls and didn't retreat. And, I, and, I, and I've got to confess, I can hit one person saying something a little bit nasty about me and it can throw me for days. I just think, 
God, I don't want to be a man like that. I want to be able to say, I'm about something. He's called me to something. I want to encourage you, if you're somebody who says, I've got a bit bored at work. I'm, not, I'm a bit bored of this now. Is that a reason? What, do you, what, what could you do? Hudson Taylor's been so inspiring to me to say, this is where I prove God faithful. If you've hit a, a, a roadblock, if you've hit a wall, if you've hit a hurdle, maybe God is saying, this is where you prove me faithful. You know, the Israelites, they hit, they hit the water. They didn't turn back. They struck and the water opened. You know, God can get you through things. And I want to encourage you, God loves a faithful people. We, we follow Jesus who walked with steadfast faithfulness, tempted in every way, but continued forward to his destination. He was mocked, derided, hated by those he came to save, but faithful to the end. He's, his people should emulate and look like that. I want to encourage you if you think, life just doesn't seem that fulfilling to me. My job's not that fulfilling. It's not supposed to. My wife's not that fulfilling. She's not supposed to satisfy you. He satisfies you and you follow him and you prove him faithful in your marriage. You prove him faithful in your job. So don't just be those who are like snowflakes and just say, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking to see how easily we'll, people will, will run away from things that, that God says, I want you to prove me faithful in this. And actually, I've got fruit for you in this. Thirdly, the Lord builds with unlikely builders. If you look through the list, there are goldsmiths in there. I'm not sure if I would have picked goldsmiths to build walls and to build uh, uh, gates. There are merchants. There are perfumers. I certainly probably wouldn't use a perfumer to build a wall. But the point here is don't disqualify yourself. Don't disqualify yourself. God chose the foolish to, cha to shame the wise and the weak to shame the strong so that he would be glorified. Do you know how often I think, I can't do this job. I can't do this. I don't have what some other awesome pro uh, pastors have. It's so impressive. I, I, it's a temptation. Oh, it's hard. But God, God builds walls with perfumers. You know, God, God is the one who does the work. We trust in him to fulfill what he has started. He will complete the work that he has begun. Have you ever thought about that neighbor or that friend that you've had and you think, they would make a great Christian? You ever thought that? They're so kind. They're so generous. They're so, they're so, I'd make a great Christian. Do you know what? God doesn't work like that. He doesn't think, I need them on my team. No, do you see the men he picked? They were idiots. They were hateful. One of them was a terrorist. He's like, yeah, let's get them together. As we sang at the beginning, vagabonds. Yeah. It's awesome. But he is building his church out of his living stones. We take our eldership team as an example. Tom's an ex-social worker. Morris is an ex-military man. Ian is a skilled accountant. Len teaches law. Mark used to be high up in the council. Tommy is an engineer. And from what I understand, a very skilled engineer. Nick works in HR. I'm an ex-primary school teacher. God says, yeah, let's work. I'm bringing you together. I'm going to make something happen in Ipswich. Don't disqualify yourself. He can make fishermen. He can make a fisherman who trusts him walk on water. I can't do that. I can't do that. I know I can. 
You want to do it? Come. Come. I can make it work. So God has called us to build his kingdom with kingdom values in our lives at work, in our families, in private and in public. He qualifies us and we trust in his leadership. It might just be your home life. You might just think, I can't do this. I'm exhausted. I've got 17 kids. You know, or one of them is just hard. You know, you might just, I can't do this. God is, God is faithful. He really is faithful and he can build with unlikely builders. He's called us to build his kingdom. Fourthly, the Lord builds with families. In verse 12 in particular, it says, one man built with his daughters. But 34 times it says, son of, son of, so-and-so, son of, so-and-so, son of. You know, parenting is a big deal in the household of God. It's a big deal. 34 people built whose parents had obviously brought them through. I know that's how they recorded names. I do understand that. But nevertheless, it's still true. These people were sons of people who had brought them through. Men, they were sons. Do you know, men, there's a particular responsibility on us for building, particular responsibility for you training your family, leading. It's the way God's ordained it. I don't hear what I'm not saying, just hear what I am saying. Men, we need to stand in our generation and do what God has called us to. Right at the beginning, we see Adam and Eve falling. God holds the man accountable. God is, God is a God who says, men, I want you to be uh, responsible for building. Fathers, it's important, your role. Don't be dragged along here by your wife. Don't say, I'm not going if she's not coming. Just say, we're going. And it's not about the gathering, but it's about growing together. I want to encourage you, take responsibility. Son of, it says 34 times in this passage. It doesn't have to mean only blood relatives, as I say, families. It doesn't have to mean that at all. This is about a people who are uncles, aunties, brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers in a household of God together. Now, I recently uh, was so blessed because I had problems with my car. It's a blessing. I had problems with my car and problems with my, my motorbike. Uh, I phoned one friend from church, told me what to do with my car. One, one friend uh, told me what to do with my bike and actually came over and helped me to sort it out because I'm clueless about those sorts of things. And um, they didn't just do what was needed for me. They helped me understand what needed to be done. Now, that's wonderful in that context, but what we want to build more and more is a family where young men and women can go to other older men and women and ask, how should a Christian respond in a situation like this? Can you help me? I've come across this at work. Can I see this? There are many mothers and fathers in this church, many that I could go to. It's an important thing that we understand that we are a family that that grows together. Maybe it's, I'm struggling with this sin. I need to know, who could I go to? Who can I go to? Yeah, there are so many men or, or women that I think I would love to go and ask them about this. My, my wife recently had this wonderful moment where a young newlywed asked her, how do I love my husband well in this situation? That's, that's the people of God together. It's not just about, you know, maybe it is prayer life. How do you read the Bible? How do you pray? Also, how do you obey God? How have you obeyed God? And we can help each other to stand. I hope and pray for not everybody to be leaving 
but that there will be many pillars who remain and build with us to the point where 10 years' time we've got, we've got 50, 100 people who the young people say, I can go to them. I can go to them. I can be discipled. Because we follow Jesus, the Son who trusted in the Father and stood in the blessing of the Father who said, this is my beloved Son. The man who became the firstborn brother of many and who stands by us, promising never to leave or forsake us. So Jesus, the Lord, builds with family. Number five, the Lord builds through united people. 21 times it says next to them or next to him. Next to him he built. Next to them he built. Next to them they built. Okay, in groups. 21 times it says this, shoulder to shoulder. People saying, count me in. Brothers and sisters, equal. Not always with the same role. Some built this, some built that. But in the same goal. I want to ask you this. On a fishing trawler, who catches the fish? Fishing trawler. Maybe, maybe the one who, who planned the expedition, or whatever you call that, I don't know. When it, maybe planned it. Is it the person who, who captains the boat? Is it the person who drops the net? Is it the one who pulled the fish in? Is it the one who opens the fish net on the deck? Who catches the fish? They all do. They all do. God has called us united, standing side by side to be a united people, building his kingdom together, building his people. We follow Jesus, who doesn't say, watch me as I build, but says to messy people like us, come with me, I will make you into builders. I will make you into soldiers. I will make you into fishers of men. The one who is gathering a united people from every tribe and tongue, the one who every different man, woman and child must come through to know the joy of the Father. Jesus is the one who unites. We follow Jesus. Sixthly, the Lord builds with those who have an eternal perspective. An eternal perspective. This one's a little bit uh, hidden in there. But verse 28 and 29, if you've got your Bible open, it's these people rebuilding the wall opposite their own home. They built opposite their own home. This is, there is certainly a call in Christianity to come and die. There is certainly a call to come and die to self and trust Jesus. But it's not a matter of com completely sacrificing your own interest. It's not self-flagellation. No, it is for your joy. He who would find his life must lose it. Do you want to find life? Don't become a Christian because you love hating yourself, because you're supposed to just be nothing, you're supposed to be a worm. No, no. The whole point is uh, he'll lift you up. You want to find life? Then lose it. But this is about joy. This is about a, an eternal perspective. This is about understanding you're building something to strengthen your own life. Right next to their own houses, they were building the wall. They understood this is, uh, uh, what's the word? This is an investment to build the kingdom of God, trusting him and purposefully walking out faithful obedience is like building city walls near your own house. Okay? If you're those, you just think, I just don't, I don't find it excites me. I'm too lazy. The Bible's saying, God says, that if you follow me, it's for your own safety, your own joy, your own life. It's an investment into the thing that will bring us the most joy. And again, we follow Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and now has been exalted to the highest place. 
proving God faithful. And saying, yeah, I lay my life down so that it might be lifted up. We follow Jesus who has been exalted to the highest place and given the name that is above every other name. Now finally, we've had time for all of them, wonderful. The Lord builds with those who delight in his son. And you might think, where is that in this chapter? You know the first verse, the first place that was primary to them, we must rebuild this first, the person who built it, the great high priest built the sheep gate. What is primary to us? Why, why is that important? What was the sheep gate? What, what would come in and out of the, the sheep gate which was built near the temple? It would be the sacrificial lambs would come in and out of that. The high priest doing the work of reconciling the people to God, of, of saying, yeah, I will go on your behalf to God who will accept us because of the sacrifice that we bring. This was first what do we build first? Well, we go for the sheep gate. Who's doing it? The high priest. Why? Because this is what it's all about. It's not just, they didn't just build an artifact. This isn't, this isn't Indiana Jones. It's not like, we've got to recover this great thing that was lost and then put it in a museum. No, it's the people of God saying, we've got to be, we've got to be recovered. We've got to be reinstated as the people of God. This is primary. This is foundational. You know this, when David, if you know the story, David, uh, the king, danced in his pants, in an ephod, which I think is pants. Um, I haven't got one, but uh, maybe I have, I don't know. Um, uh, he, he, he danced when the Ark of the Covenant was brought back, when it had been stolen, when it had been lost for years. It wasn't because they got a historical artifact back. It wasn't because, yeah, this is a big deal to us, this ark. No, it was this. We have the presence of God back. We have the presence of the Almighty back. We have the power of God with us. That is worth dancing in your pants for. We've got him back. He's with us. His presence is with us. This is all what it's about, that God would be reunited, united to his people. God wants to build with those who treasure his son. And treasure the lamb that was slain. So we come, we're like Jesus. We're like Jesus. We follow Jesus. And finally, we come through Jesus. We come through him. Our hope and our salvation. He is the way, the truth, the life. We come through him to build. God builds through him. He is the cornerstone. We stand on him. The grace of God on our lives I'm going to invite the band, we're going to pray, and uh, we're going to celebrate this salvation, this saviour. Let me pray for us. Father God, oh Father God, would you make your passion our passion? I really pray you'd make your passion our passion. I've heard it said that God's love language is obedience. The way God is best loved is obedience. God, would you help us to build the kingdom by obeying you. We pray that you would beautify us as we choose you. As we choose you. So many things to choose. Nothing satisfies like you. Nothing's supposed to. I pray, help us to choose you. That we would see your kingdom come. That we would see your church grow beautiful.
that we bring glory to you. The world would look on and say, there is Jesus. There he is. Make your passion, your zeal, the thing you're zealous for, make us zealous for it, Lord. We're not here just to gather. We're not here to tick off something. We're here for a, a hormone boost on a Sunday morning. We're here, God, to meet with you, to know you, to be a people of God. Lord, I pray you'd help us to keep building in line with your heart. You've called us to build in certain ways. Help us to build in line with your heart. And help us to follow after our Saviour King and believe that because the gracious hand of God is on our lives, we can build well and purposefully, Lord. Because of grace, because of the cornerstone. That cornerstone is strong. We can build on it. It won't falter. Jesus, your grace is enough. Help us because of that wonderful grace to build, to build well, that you would shine brightly in Ipswich. In Jesus' name, amen.